So when you go to pick a puppy, our number one recommendation for you is... Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Standing Stone Podcast. I'm Cat the Dog Trainer. I'm the guy with the pink gun. And today we are going to be kind of wrapping up a little mini series we've been talking about that encompasses breeding dogs in general, um, and then our experiences with short hair specifically. And uh, if this is your first time tuning into our podcast, you may have found us on one of the podcast catchers or our YouTube channel that we have set up specifically for our new podcast. It's the Standing Stone podcast channel. We'd love a like and subscribe to that, um, as well as If this is your first time tuning in, you may not know, we also have Instagram and social media on Facebook that you can follow along with us. Fantastic. So this is a wrap up of a few different episodes that we had in the past. If you haven't specifically listened to those, we want to reference some really quick for you. Episode 113, I had the opportunity to talk to Fred Rice and Fred and I had a really interesting conversation more about breeding dogs and the genetics aspect of that and kind of how those things look and his vast amount of experience over the years of what he's done to produce the the lines that are coming out of Sundance Kennels. Yeah, and then I had an opportunity to talk with Whitney Miller in episode 114 about the process of from whelping to weaning puppies, the uh, hard work that it takes to breed dogs and to do it right and to care for those puppies all the way up until the point that they go home. And in episode 115, so these are real easy to find right in a row, um, I got to talk with Cheryl with Outlander Kennels, and that's actually the kennel that we got Quest through. And super experienced lady. Um so much fun to talk to her. She's always, you never know exactly what's going to come out. And it was a, it was a cool conversation. Um, talking more though about some of the things that can happen in and amongst breeding and how it doesn't always go as planned and, you know, how things of that nature are essentially the nature of the beast. So we wanted to take time today to kind of, um, wrap these all together and add to it our experience in the fact of how to specifically pick a breeder and then also how to go about picking your puppy. Exactly. So we get uh, this question a lot about how to pick a breeder and we have lots of conversations with people about choosing us as a breeder or going through the process of basically interviewing us to see if we would be the right breeder for clients. And Uh, I thought that those were really good opportunities to share that information with everyone because um, I think that it's really easy to say, hey, do you have any puppies available? And the breeder to respond, yes, I do via email. And that's the extent of how you've gone about picking your breeder. And I think if that's how you've gone about it, you've missed some opportunities to educate yourself to find truly the right breeder, um, the right breed for you. So when we look at it, um, I think from a recommendation standpoint for anyone that's listening that's thinking, how do I pick the right breeder for me? Uh, It all starts with a a real conversation, you know, less about do you have a puppy available this minute, more about um, do you breed dogs? Yep, I see that on your website or, or got a recommendation from some places and also a really good place to start. But then have a conversation talking specifically about what you're looking for and what that individual breeder's goals are. Because even if you're looking at just one breed specifically, there are some variances that fall into that. You know, if let's take short hairs, for example, um, we do breed for versatility, but we breed in versatility, meaning uh, the ability to hunt upland and waterfowl. That's the most common use of it. Yeah. And the versatility of not only natural pointing instinct, but also natural retrieving desire, that versatility for them as well. Yep. And that's something that we shoot for, but probably lean toward the bird dog aspect of things when we're making those decisions, as well as we put a pretty heavy weight on livability and the dog's ability to be part of our family, which involves multiple dogs. So I think is 
probably pushed to an even more challenging level in the sense of having one dog that's maybe just a smidgen busy isn't that bad if that's your only focus. But if you add that one smidgen busy dog in with another one and another one and another one, because there's times when we have four to six dogs in the house at a time, you have four to six dogs that are super busy or even a smidgen busy. They feed off each other and it's work. It it escalates. They get exponentially more energetic and then you throw children into the mix or guests coming over or just any transitions of excitement and they feed off of that. It escalates. And then instead of having a well-mannered group of dogs listening and being obedient, you have a wild pack of animals destroying your house. Yeah. So we, we put a a huge emphasis on livability because even the folks that are hunting the most, let's say you fall into that top tier category. You are maybe hunting 50 to 60 days a year. You still got 300 that the dog is ideally part of the family. And that, I mean, that shows just in that percentage alone that personality and disposition and ability to kind of blend with a family is, is an important part of things. Absolutely. And I had a recent conversation with a, a puppy buyer, which these happen all the time. Um, and they, they haven't put a deposit down with us yet, but they had the questions. And that was truly one of the questions that we talked about a lot was livability and wanting to make sure that the dog is going to be a good part of the family, be able to settle down and I, through that conversation, was assuring him that, yes, our puppies, our dogs are going to do that. Obviously, they're still puppies. They still have high energy. We can't, you know, disregard that because they are an active breed, I said. But we also put emphasis on not shading too far that direction. Even if you only plan on hunting, you know, a couple trips a year, uh, you still want your dog to be able to perform optimally in those situations and not, not know their purpose, not really have the ability and natural instinct to do it as well as give up or quit on you because they're like, uh, I'm so livable that I don't actually want to hunt. And that for us um, is a no-go as well. If our dogs shade too far that direction, because it's a constant balancing act, we say you unfortunately aren't going to make the cut for our breeding program uh, because you're not quite the level of hunting dog that we want to be be producing and continuing in our program, you're going to make a great family dog that might go out and hunt once a year. You could do it, but you're not going to have the drive and desire that we want to necessarily put into our program as well. So you, you are constantly on that teeter totter of shading too far one way, you lose some hunting too far the other way, you lose livability. So on that knife's edge. It is, it's a, it's a difficult process, but, um, if you look at, we got into this was specifically talking about finding the right breeder, right? And this conversation that you're going to have with the person that you're interested in is going to help you to, and hopefully you have a conversation with more than one person, unless you just, you know, fall in love, whatever, right off the bat, which can happen too. Um, it just feels right. But you talk to somebody else and there are other short hair breeders that are going to put little to no emphasis on the versatility aspect of things or um, they don't, in fact, have their dogs in the house, or they do have a huge emphasis put on like they're big duck hunters, and that's primarily what they do. And we're seeing that pop up more of requests like, could your short hairs waterfall hunt for 100% sure? 100% waterfall hunt. But like, you also run do, into right? breeders that maybe don't do any hunting with their short hairs, they're only doing, um, you know, maybe show work with their dogs Mm -hmm. and then, you know, the livability part of the family. So that's something else to be aware of. Um, And I think educating yourself uh, about what some of the different titles and testing means from field trials to hunt tests to show titles that you will be able to ask the right questions when you are having a conversation and not be confused potentially in that conversation when a breeder starts throwing out random you know, acronyms, titles and things and not knowing what those mean. Um, and don't ever be um, shy asking, well, what do you mean by that? I'm, I'm not familiar with that title. Uh, asking more questions and educating yourself as much as you can is just going to help you make that much more of an informed decision. I think that that is probably one of the most common things that I hear that's a misunderstanding from folks is what do these titles actually mean? Because you'll hear, oh, Tons of champions in the line. Well, that's a common goals? thing. Yeah. My dog's from champion bloodlines. 
Okay. okay. So let's let's look at what kind of champions we have here. Do we have the local hunt club um, chucker challenge champions? You know, I, I've seen to that extent, and that doesn't come with an actual title that'll show up on a pedigree, but they, they list multiple time champion. You know, I mean, they add it to a custom made pedigree themselves, right? So then you look at the different registries or different organizations out there, and most of them have their own testing system. And um, AKC has hunt tests, but they also have field trials and they also have obedience or confirmation or rally. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of different events and you need to figure out what, in fact, the champion lines are out of. Because I'm going to say a dog that is primarily bred for being in the show ring may and or may not fall into line as an easy developed perfect hunting dog which is what you might be looking for now if you're specifically looking for show dogs you don't need to come to us i mean that's not what our focus is in production we try and produce dogs that are built well but at the same time um going and showing them is not on our radar for for our dogs so you've got to find out First and foremost, knowing what your goals are, because we mentioned that, then you're going to have a conversation and find out what that breeder is specifically trying to produce. And if those things match up, then you kind of move from that area into the next zone. Yeah. And when you mentioned before, like having multiple conversations, Ethan, I think that that's something that is really important. Sure. Maybe you call us and we have a great conversation and you truly do fall in love with what our breeding program is. I still think from um, educating yourself and really understanding what options are out there, you should have another conversation. You know, maybe you've got your top three kennels. Talk to all three of those people. Um, compare those con and contrast those conversations uh, because I also think that a relationship with your breeder is very important. And so if you can communicate easily with the person that you're thinking of getting a puppy from and they're easy to get a hold of, that is going to most likely carry over to the life of your puppy where if you've got an issue, you've got a problem, you've got a question, you want more help with training, um, you're just ready for your next dog, any of those things, you already have a relationship built with somebody that's going to be answering the phone, responding to messages in a timely fashion if you need help. Um, not just now you've got your puppy and I never want to hear from you again or you never hear from me again. Uh, that's definitely not the case. Now, we don't, I would say that we don't keep uh, tabs on everybody, but we do have, you know, and that's by their, uh, oh, their, their desire to keep tabs as well. Like if people reach Communication out. Communication goes both ways. It does go both mm -hmm. ways. So we have, thank you. That's a great way to put it. So we have um, a Facebook group set up and we recommend everybody jump on there and we we keep tabs on a lot of everybody dogs that that's gotten a puppy or a dog from us. It is yeah, a private so it, group. Correct. So it's a private group set up just for people that have dogs from our program. They can stay in touch with litter mates as well as we can kind of keep tabs on, you know, there's 10 years worth of breedings that have happened and um, it's, it's great to see, but we don't call everybody every week, you know, and that's not something that I would expect out of anyone ever. Right. You know, I, it, it would might there might be a portion of time where it's kind of fun, but at the same time, um, eventually it's like it's my dog and I do my dog thing. Yeah, so. but we always want to be accessible as a resource for our puppy buyers to reach out to us for anything from you know eight weeks on. I want to know if you're struggling with potty training, then I can give you some pointers to get through that. Or if your dog got injured or something, I want to know about that just so that I can, you know, lend my support from experience, um, that we have tons of experience as well as just have a heads up that, Hey, this happened. Um, well, and the, the and brag boards and brag boards are awesome. Yeah. Send it, send it in. We want to see that stuff. The, the other side of it though, comes in with, um, the average person that gets a dog from us, we, we try and build relationships with, and we try and stay in touch with, and are open um, to communication coming back. For example, I talked with a gentleman this last week who got a dog from us who just turned 11. Just turned 11. And he's having some questions. He's like, I don't know 
you know, he did this weird thing and we had him checked out, but they didn't really find anything. Have you seen any of this stuff? You know, like to be able to have a good enough relationship with the people that we're selling dogs to that they feel comfortable to reach out 10 and 11 years after buying their puppy is the kind of setup that we want, you know, and it's um, ultimately the dog seems to be coming around and it was kind of a weird quirky thing, but it's that level of communication that you should strive for with where you are getting a very, very important part of your family. Absolutely. Um, just thinking about our experiences because we own so many dogs, we hunt a lot with them. We've trained a lot of dogs. Um, no, we are not veterinarians, but we do have a lot of experience. We've even had clients reach out to us saying, Hey, you know, I went hunting a week ago. My dog is just not the same dog that he was. I can't really see an injury going through all of these questions and situations with us. And we say, Hey, you know, I think you should advocate for your dog. Um, things sound off. I think you should go to the vet. I think you should say, Hey, I'm concerned that it could be this, this, and this push for some answers because we've seen dogs with foreign body infections, for example, that go downhill really quickly. And it's not something that every vet has seen or has experience with, especially in hunting specific breeds. And sometimes we've helped people push for answers and gotten those dogs, the help that they've needed. And sometimes those owners had reached out too late. And unfortunately, bad to say that, you know, had dog got they, really sick. God dog really sick. And had they potentially reached out sooner, we could have said, Hey, check this out sooner. So, um, we are a huge resource. Um, as you can see from our YouTube channel and all the dog training videos and stuff, we want to help people. We want to have that relationship. Um, and that definitely goes as far as our puppy buyers as well. hundred percent. So. When you are looking to pick a breeder, you need to to make the calls and talk to multiple people. It doesn't have to be an insane number, but talk to a few people and make sure that you can solidify what your feelings were with the person you're willing or wanting to move forward with. And then um, ask questions. Be prepared with uh, an understanding of what you're trying to get out of bringing a dog home. You know, that's an important conversation to have with yourself. Uh, we're not just getting a pet, you know, there's there, that's part of it. Right. But there are things that are going to have to go into place. So having those conversations and then finding the person or people or kennel or company, whatever that you can feel comfortable with to build a relationship that is going to last more than the transaction itself. Yeah. And some of the things that you might um, also be considering is, do they have a puppy purchase agreement? That's not a bad thing for a breeder to have so that you can see what they are putting on paper to promise to do for their puppy buyers and what they expect of their pupper buyers. You know, I... You said pup, pupper buyers. Pupper buyers. Puppers. <laughs> little puppers. Uh, puppy buyers. Um, it's a tongue twister. So having a puppy purchase agreement and asking to see that, um, asking to see if they have done health clearances with their dogs. Um, yes, Breeding healthy dogs is really important because dogs aren't vacuum cleaners. They aren't just an item that you can take back to the breeder in six months or a year and say, hey, my dog's broken. I want a new one. You've created a relationship with that dog. You love that dog. It's part of your family. It's not just, oh, I'm taking it back to Walmart. No big deal. I'll get another one. Um, so going with breeders that are producing healthy dogs and healthy lines is also something that I would recommend. 100%. Anything else that you think is really important to talk about when how to pick a breeder? I mean, that's the the biggest part of it and can't stress it enough is that you feel comfortable with the situation. Now, does that mean it's 100% going to work out? Not 100% of the time, but it's going to drastically increase your chances if you feel comfortable with the person. So it's um, that's a big part of it. And don't ignore your gut feeling. Don't ignore red flags. If you feel something, it's probably for a reason. And that's... I mean, that's in a lot of situations of life, but this one specifically, it's if you go, ah, something on. felt weird yeah, about that conversation or I just didn't feel right about it. Um, and then it's a big decision, be patient is my last recommendation when you're choosing a breeder. Um, if you find the right breeder and they just happen to have a puppy available because of whatever circumstances, absolutely great. Things like that can happen, but also understand that, um, sometimes the right breeders have wait lists and deposit lists. And it might be 
you know, six months to a year or longer to wait for the right dog that's going to fit what you're looking for um, from a breeder that you feel really comfortable with. So um, that instant gratification that we all want, Amazon Prime, order today, that's not going to necessarily happen with your puppy. Yep, 100%. So now as we move out of finding the right breeder and being able to pick the right breeder, um, we want to talk about moving past that into how do you actually pick the right puppy? Now, this is going to vary based off of where you're getting your dog a little bit because some people go all the way to the extent of mm, we assign puppies to you. Now, I, I'm not opposed to that. I think Kat and I take it and explain it and, and we apply the process more in the sense of that we do the picking together and we're going to make recommendations. And we're going to make hard no's, okay? Like, no, this puppy does not show us the things that you're explaining you're looking for. This puppy needs to go to this type of environment, and that is not what you've explained. And that's, that's not because we're trying to be mean, right? It's because we're trying to make sure that the right dog goes to the right place. Because and being honest with what we've seen out of the puppies in the litter and not just blanket saying, any puppy out of any litter will fit exactly what you're looking for because... That isn't the case for our breeding program. Yeah. And then other breeders are just going to say, pick which one you want. And then there's, and this is more, I, I hope it's a joke, but I heard it a long time ago. Okay. A guy's like, I've got this puppy selling stuff pinned down. You oh, remember this story? I, I remember you telling me yeah. this. Story. So um, I believe it's a true story, which is sad, but I said, I've got this puppy selling stuff figured out. All right. So I've got the litter and I put the litter in this wire corral over here. And every time somebody comes to pick out a puppy, it's like, here's all the puppies. But I have a one puppy that I picked and I set it in its own corral over off, off away from the other puppies for the moment. And people always ask, well, what, what's that puppy over there? Oh, that's our pick. That's the one that we're planning on keeping. And then everybody's like, oh, well, I want that one. Well, that one's extra. You know, I could be talked oh into goodness. selling it, but that one's extra. Well, how much extra? Here it is. I got the pick of the litter, right? And then they leave and the next person comes and he just grabs one of the puppies out of the pen and puts it back in the pick of the litter pen. And uh, that would be a giant red flag <laughs> um, <laughs> waving in your face if that's what's going on. So oh, shoot. Um, yeah. also, I that makes me think a little bit about another red flag that I typically tell people is if you are calling a breeder and talking to them and they are pricing their dogs differently, um, their males are more than their females or vice versa, or their colors are more expensive. That is usually a breeder that's not necessarily breeding for the right reasons um, and trying to profit I mean, yeah. off of fads and off of off of whatever. Um, trying to take advantage of the situation a little bit, it seems like. But and I feel like within a breeding program within litters, if they're all trained, tested, entitled, and they are all um, hunted and part of the family. And, you know, I value my males and my females and my litters the same. I'm not saying, oh, a puppy out of Vex, for example, is more expensive than a puppy out of Shooter or, or whatnot. It's, it, yeah. that's not how it goes. Just because they're both really nice dogs. And sometimes a puppy out of Shooter or a puppy out of Vex or a puppy out of, you know, maybe one of our upcoming dogs might be a better fit for you mm -hmm. than um, a puppy out of Nyx used to be. So I would make a recommendation based on what you truly have told me would be a good fit for you, not where I think I can make the most money. So when you go to pick a puppy, our number one recommendation for you is based off of the how you've gotten to this point already. You, you've already built a relationship and feel comfortable with, or feel comfortable with someone you can build a relationship with, your breeder, right? They, if they're doing it right, have spent a lot of time with these puppies and know each individual puppy for what they are. Now, there's going to be some uniformity. There's going to be some similarities, or there should be. Especially if you go back to like what you and Fred talked about with yeah. line breedings and building consistency in, in your program and your litters and things. You will have very consistent litters. Now, I would even say, this is going to jump a little bit, so help me get back to where we're at, but it's important to talk about. So the one example would be Nix's, the litter Nix came from, the breeding. Excuse me. So that was... Grandpa Rex, everybody has seen or knows or knows of him. And if you don't, 
just scroll a little bit on Instagram, you'll find him pretty quick. Um, Grandpa Rex to a top gun bred dog named Darby. This was done at Willow Creek in Minnesota, but it's um that litter was done three, maybe four times. It was definitely a repeat breeding. Yeah, I think because I think we four got shooter times. one out of a Darby Rex litter. The first Darby Rex breeding cross. Yep. yep. And then we got Nix out of the third, the third Darby Rex or breeding. Fourth. Third or fourth. The last one, I think, honestly. It was the last one, so it might have been the fourth. fourth. So maybe Something. four times. No, it doesn't matter 100%. The, what I'm getting at specifically with that is the differences within the litters, okay? So even though, and, and what I'm getting toward is the conversation with, with line in respect to line breeding and outcrosses, um, that was an outcross breeding and should technically produce less consistency. But within the individual litters, there were, there's a fair amount of consistency. The dogs were fairly similar in each individual litter, but each individual litter was quite a bit different. So yes, the, I, I remember that specifically. It was was, weird, right? Uh, yeah. You know, like same parents, same situation, but the puppies were a lot different from breeding to breeding. Now, raised the same, same environment. All of the other factors are exactly the same, but the first litter, even down to like size and... Because Nick's is... The litter Nix was from produced it felt like bigger framed bigger dogs. dogs. Yeah, so where Shooter One's litter, she had one smaller litter smaller. too, and those dogs were all monsters, like giant. They were huge, huge, huge. Like uh, Deke. Uh, Deke was in uh, the second litter. Right. So was that the litter you were thinking um, about? The third one? one had four puppies in it, and that litter was neither here nor they were all big. Um, the first litter was Shooter One. Shooter One was uh, 53 pounds. 50, he was 55 when he died because yes. that stuck in my head from that vet appointment. And he was up about three to four 58 pounds. 58 pounds at his, when yeah. they were like, oh, we pulled basically like three to five pounds of fluid out of him yep. with that foreign body infection that he was dealing with. So all of that being said, the, the individual litter, there was a lot of similarities. There were some couple outliers, but you're going to see this in breeding. So you should, you go to look at a litter of puppies. There should be quite a few similarities in and amongst those puppies, but there are going to be outliers and there always will be dogs that are more solely like mom, more solely like dad. And one thing that Fred specifically said was breeding like dogs together. Um, not even necessarily genetically the same, but similar characteristics and traits. So as you're making those crosses, if you know, the, the things that are coming out into the puppies are similar, right? Mm -hmm. So mom is big running. Dad is big running. The puppies are going to most likely get mom or dad's gene of big running. That so was they the, should all be big running. That was the idea uh -huh. behind it, right? But if you have, which this honestly is more the way that we take an approach and we, we balance, it's splitting hair balances, but we do balance because I feel like as you move a direction, you trend that direction. So- yep. Uh, so then you have to bring it back. And the way you back. bring it back is if mom and dad aren't quite as similar and you pull back mom's direction or you pull back dad's direction a little bit. Yep. And based on the level of genetic similarity between the two dogs is going to provide you different amounts of consistency within the litter itself. So all of that being said, when you are looking at the puppies, there should be a few puppies that are basically clones of each other. And they're going to say, these puppies are all about the same. They're the same level of go-getter, the same level of calm down. They have drive. They have desire. They're Even all about size. the same. Yeah, same yep. size, similar builds, things. They're there. Then you've got this puppy that's always the last one to go to sleep. He, he or she is always a turd about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Then you got this one. This one's always sleeping, and you pick it up, and it's ready to take another nap. And this is the bottom end of the spectrum from a personality and outgoing standpoint, right? So. There are some differences. Now, when you look at that, there is such a thing as a temperament testing. Now, I'll be honest. We've never actually gone through, because how you, you go about this, I know how it works. I've read up on it, but it's, um, it's a matter of evaluating what each individual dog's temperament is. And I don't think that we've ever been... I don't want to say ever. There's no absolutes, but we're rarely wrong with our assumptions of what the dogs are which is based, you know, that's what that temperament testing is going to tell you. It's evaluating things like new people, new environment type of situation. That's where you're supposed to start. Somebody that the puppies don't know does the testing process. 
in a new environment. Then you're evaluating recovery time. So you do something to put the dog in this new situation. Are they startled? Are they not startled? And how then quickly how they quickly they recover. Yep. And the combination of some of those different things tell you this puppy falls into whatever they rate it as, and that's a wild monster. And then there's the middle of the road dogs that are going to maybe startle a little bit, but recover quickly. And that's a dog that the average person can handle well. And then you've got the bottom end of the spectrum, and that's a dog that is going to startle easily and not recover quickly. And that's as challenging, if not more challenging, than the go-getter. So this kind of helps with how do we help recommend puppies. But anytime we've looked at those things, it's we can draw those conclusions just based on the large amount of time that we spend with puppies and interacting with them. But And our all, experience reading dogs in general. I yeah, mean, it, it all it, applies. It all applies, for it sure. All applies. So the big thing circling back to picking the puppy itself is it goes into that conversation with the breeder with the potential of building, you know. Trust and communication and relationship yep, with them. Trust them, okay? Like I said, some people assign puppies to you. That's not a bad option. And I know some folks have said, oh, it's so much easier to just know you've picked the right dog for me and I can feel comfortable with that rather than having to come and make a decision on which which one, this one or this one. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the wild monster, but it's sleeping. It looks so sweet. Well, it played for the last four hours before you got here, right? And everybody else napped like normal puppies. So it's just, that's the swing that they're in right now. And so you come and look at them, trust what you're being told and go based off of what the recommendation is coming to you. And that's why we explain we pick the puppy together. Yeah. And that was one of the things that was slightly different in Whitney and my conversation was we talked about like, well, how do puppies get picked? Because that's a big thing. And um, they do puppy offers where um, she says, I have a, and they breed labs, um, but I have a black male puppy offer for you from this specific litter. Are you interested? I think that this would be a good fit from you from her wait list. And I said, that's kind of a cool way to do it because you're waiting to make, you know, those final assignments essentially until the puppies are close to six or seven weeks old. Um, and then I, she said, you know, if somebody strongly feels like, Hey, I, between those two puppies that you think would be a good fit for me, I really lean towards this one, you know, she takes that into consideration for sure. And though we don't necessarily say, Hey, I have a puppy offer for you. Um, specifically, it's a very similar feel where I do take into consideration if you are leaning one way or the other, making recommendations, but, um, trusting us to know the temperaments of those puppies, uh, litter recommendations. Cause when we, um, you know, plan our litters for the beginning of the year, uh, and then we reach out to our wait list. I make recommendations based on those conversations and saying a puppy out of this or this or this litter, I think would be the best fit for you. Um, do any of those litters, you know, timing wise and things like that seem like they'd be a good fit for you. And then we move them to that specific litter. Well, all of those planned litters are based off of a lot of thought process. It's yes. not just a crapshoot, right? Exactly. Let's see which male gets which female bred who likes each other better. No. It's, it is based off of a number of different factors, one of which is personality, hunting ability, and style, essentially, and how they hunt. You know, we were talking about range. A lot of people ask, you know, how do I get my puppy to hunt closer to me? Well, you can, you can work on that through conditioning, but it's a heck of a lot easier to get a dog that's genetically predisposed to hunt in the range you're looking for. Yeah. So a dog that wants to be close to you, or if you're looking for a bigger run, a dog, a dog that you're not going to have to try and encourage to run away from you. Like that's something that can be bred in. So we take that in consideration. We also evaluate, you know, okay, so let's say, um, I mean, for example, we talk about one of the upcoming breedings. It's not going to happen in, it's about to, well, all right. So tricks. We did a number of different things with that. First, first and foremost, if you break down tricks specifically, she is very stylish, super style. I'm, I'm talking the intensity level and, and this doesn't mean she stands there with her paw tucked and everything every time. 
style and intensity is a, is a unique to an individual dog and everybody's opinion on what a dog should look like on point is just that an opinion um but it's it's cool and there isn't anybody this is like when it comes down to the intensity factor no matter what the style is if it's lower or higher or pause tucked or whatever if you've got intensity there um, rarely can you watch that happen and not, if you oh, like bird wow. dogs, yeah, if you love bird dogs and this is something you're into, which is why you're listening to us right now, but you watch a dog like that, that's intense. You're going to go, wow. Gives me chills. I got my arms thinking about it right now. You know, it's, for sure. I'm thinking about times in South Dakota getting to hunt with her and that specific, you were there, you watched this, right? So on it was, her birthday. Yeah, it was on her birthday. I shot her birthday bird. It's currently at a taxidermist that it should get back within the next two years or some crazy <laughs> thing like that. But that's how taxidermy works. Good ones. Yeah. Right. You know, so you you get there's what the you tax, pay for. There's the taxidermy joke, right? You get uh, you can either have good or fast or cheap. Pick two. Like that's you can have. You know what I'm saying? Fast it's, and cheap. Uh yeah. Good and cheap. Good and cheap, but not fast. But not fast. <laughs> okay, got it. I, I get you. I get you what you're saying. If it's reasonably priced and it's uh, it's good, it's going to take forever because they're going to be booked forever, right? You know, like it's makes sense. And I would, I would say this lady, um, Sherry's taxidermy is who I've used out in Idaho, and she's she does done a birds really good, really really good with birds, right? I didn't ask the deer guy down the road to do birds for me. Um, she's really good with birds, but and I would have called her to begin with, very reasonably priced. She's not quite as reasonably priced now because, you know, supply, demand, ability, all the things deserve. But um, so we're running. We jump on this. Uh, it's a brome grass strip, which any biologist in the whole world will tell you that brome grass is the worst thing in the whole world for pheasants. But I'm telling you right now, I kill a lot of dang pheasants out of brome grass. And I and think maybe that they, it's a combination of the habitat, though. You need we, to, we, dig, you we need digress a little bit, but. Those brome strips are usually along shelter belts and uh-huh. food plots. Yeah. So it makes great loafing cover, and maybe that's not exactly what it is, but it's it's low enough grass that I feel like the birds feel comfortable in it and can run around. The reason that it's not said to be good habitat is it chokes everything else out. So there's no weeds. There's no... It becomes a monoculture of no brome grass. There's no diversity. Exactly. So if it's... In conjunction with diversity, which is most of the time, you know, there is weed edges because that's the edge of the field that got a little damp next to the brown grass that's growing in the waterway. And then on the other side of that, you have a shelter belt. So now we've got all kinds of different things happening in one area. But where do we find the birds? In the brown grass yes. specifically. So it's interesting. But, um, you know, she locks up on point and it's just... Then the birds are running this whole way. They can feel the pressure of us, and she moves on. And just the the level of, uh, what would it be? Like, just true. She was intelligently working birds, tracking, pointing, tracking, pointing, working these running pheasants through yeah, this brome grass. The desire level, though, was extremely high of focusing and knowing exactly what Focus. I mean. It was just... It wasn't nonchalantly running around the field. It was like, oh, this is hot. Nope, it's it's cold and I'm moving on. Oh, it's hot again. It's hot. And then boom, got it pinned down. Here comes the bird. Kawam wham. There goes the bird. And that is something that is also really impressive if you get to watch as a dog mm-hmm. that intelligently works a track, doesn't give up on it, stays focused, doesn't break out and just search, doesn't give up on it. Um, that is impressive that's something that they test for in the natural ability test with Navda is yeah. you know tracking ability natural tracking ability and um tricks definitely has that and um it's it's a fun impressive awesome thing to watch because i actually got to watch very similar tracking finding pointing um when we were at the cabin fever hunt with her and she was mm-hmm. she was hunting in front of me it was like wow she's this is a cool. cool dog yeah She's a really cool dog. So she's out of Quest and Hat. Yep. And uh, both really nice wild bird dogs. I see a lot of her mother in her with, um, you know, as as you're making these decisions on dogs, you have to be honest about what they are. So Quest falls in the category of lacking just a smidgen of desire, which that slight. So if you've got a desire category, right, this is 100% desire. This is not ideal. 
I'm, I'm just telling you right now. Cause it's you're not kind handleable. of at zero percent livability. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that, that would be it. It's kind of like the, the hot crazy scale. The, everybody's seen this. this is a women's scale and it's, we're not going to get into it, but the hot crazy scale. So it's like the livability and, uh, and desire scale. The further, the, the more you grow on the desire category, the further you get from the livability category, it's just, you need a happy medium in there. And, um, those are, are, those are unicorns there. <laughs> if you find one, catch it so we can study it. Right. Um, it's, uh, but that's what, quest specifically needed was a little bit of desire so that we don't trend further away from it because it doesn't deter from her ability but you can see it's there enough that if you continue to go down the hill same to same yep same to same you're going to end up with some dogs that don't have enough desire to to follow through with what our goals are with the dogs now you take that and you have tricks and everybody's going okay there's got to be something bad about her um, really what it comes down to there, I would say that she still is a little bit on the edge of the softer personality standpoint. You can't hurt her feelings. And a she's bit. definitely more submissive. Um, a little bit. you know, if she feels unsure in a situation around like a bunch of dogs that she's meeting, she is definitely not going to puff up her chest and be like, no, I'm dominant here. She's going to be like, oh, okay. Check me out. Okay. See, I'm cool. I'm cool. And then she, mm-hmm. you know, recovers quickly and moves on. Not a bad thing, again, but still needs to be uh, considered in the fact of finding a dog to breed her to. So we did the breeding two tricks with Vex. Now, if you go back and listen, we talk a lot about line breeding. And I specifically mentioned this in that, and we pull up the pedigree for it. Um, I with think Fred, it, yep. With Fred, yep. So the tricks is out of quest and quest is out of vex and then we went ahead and bred vex back to so this is like the epitome of line breeding situations now he specifically said i would breed brothers and like half brothers and sisters together to pull on things that's the direction that he would start with stuff on average Mm -hmm. so it would be you know a another quest sibling or something to that effect so that would be like breeding um Quest, which is a Vex daughter, mm-hmm. back to if we had a Grit Vex male, for example. Yeah. And yep. breeding Quest to that male, which we don't have one of those, so we're not doing that. Yeah, but, but the... That would be more like the half-siblings correct. being bred together. Yep, Got and it. then again, it's still a line breeding on Vex, but pulls differently. Enough different differently. Yeah, 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 Instead yeah. of technically what we're doing in this line breeding mm-hmm. situation is tricks to her grandpa, Vex. Yep. So All in the uh, attempts to produce a more consistent litter that trends in the direction of Vex, who in, in my eyes is the closest thing that I've ever produced to a perfect dog for Very us. balanced. Very balanced from livability, desire, water love, natural pointing, backing, um, Bird instinct. Bird finding mother yep. trucker. He is, you know, that teeter-totter knife's edge we were talking about. He is probably the one dog that I could say seems to be the unicorn. He's close. He's not perfect. No. Absolutely perfect. no dog is perfect, but he is very um, balanced in that. Now, in our eyes, we try and stay in a pretty medium-sized dog. Um, not too big, but definitely not. too not, small, yeah, but the, just right. The Goldilocks uh, division, right? So we, we're, I would say that Trix needs just a smidgen of size because she's in the mid to upper 40s. Now, so you may be hearing that right now going, that's perfect for me. Well, it is, but if we breed her to a smaller male, for example, Thunder, if we were to breed her to Thunder, who is only a mid to low 50s dog, we have the chance of producing some dogs that don't touch 40. You For know, female like, size. Yeah, we yeah. could have a 38-pound female, full-grown, dripping wet, not staying true to what short hairs and versatility and that is because of the fact that, I mean, a 38-pound short hair is going to struggle with even the average light goose. Like, I mean, it's not and, to mention try And breaking to, through some of the thicker cover that we expect them to work on. Could, potentially, could, yeah. right? You know, so um, all of those things to be... Considered now, there's no true. I would say that there's more. Um, this is a big digress, but it's fine. The, there's no true, um, honest, scientific 
evidence to say, because I've heard big dogs break down faster. Little dogs are lighter on their feet. Big dogs bust through cover better. You know, all of those things don't ever really truly seem to really matter. It seems like the statements that are made. Um, broad generalizations broad based generalization, on small pools. Yep. Broad generalizations based on a very small l- level of experience with that situation. A quick digression is male versus female. All the females I've ever owned are really sweet and mild-mannered. All the males I've ever owned are hard-headed and don't train well. That would be a broad generalization based on just your small piece of experience. Yeah, to put that into perspective, okay, it is the same thing as saying all men are one way versus all women are one way, which we know for a fact that that's not the case. Now, are there some similarities? Sure. Generally speaking, most men are going to be larger than most women. Does it fit every category? Absolutely not. But on average, most women are smaller than most men. So it's the same thing with dogs. Those are the generalizations that we can typically speak to is on average, male dogs are bigger, female dogs are smaller, and male dogs have male parts and female dogs have female parts. That is, that is pretty much it. Outside of that, From a trainability and temperament and mental standpoint, um, that is each individual dog. And it's based more on the breeding specifically than male versus female. Yeah. So So, we kind of digressed onto that. That's a big topic that I would love to get into more at a later date. So where we were at, though, was specifically talking about differences within dogs within a breed and, and picking and that. picking right? a puppy yep. and trusting your breeder. Yep. So those are the kind of things that the thought processes that go into, not to mention the looking at the, the pedigrees, right? Um, that gives us an idea of what's behind on paper. So that's more in theory. This could produce this. How does it actually turn out? You know, Mother Nature decides that for us, but um, it gives us a lot more, you know, a lot better idea or at least something to go off of. But we not only look at the paper aspect of things, we look at truly what we see out of the dogs and we have to be honest about the dogs or you're never going to get anywhere. So um, those things being considered, know who the dogs are, right? You know, we're putting this time in and if you're asking, and you're being honest with us and saying, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. My goal is to say, you know, this litter has X, Y, and Z and should have X, Y, and Z because we're line breeding on X, Y, and Z. Exactly. You know, that is the purpose of that. And, um, you know, we stand behind our dogs 100%, even to the extent of our um, agreement with puppy buyers says, we get the first right of refusal if you decide that you need the dog doesn't fit you right you say whether that's your lifestyle change or it's just we made a mistake and the dog isn't right for you or you didn't know what you wanted out of a dog and say I can't have this dog anymore we want it back so that we can attempt to find a new home for it so all of those things all of those things being said trust what your breeder is is saying and feeding you and giving you information wise. And if you don't, or you don't feel like, you know, oh, I don't think that they're, they're really telling me what this is. They just want me to take this puppy. Then you're at the wrong place. I mean, you've stumbled down the wrong path somewhere and you need to start over. That's, that's the fact of the matter. Yeah. And you know, you may get to the point where your breeder says, based on what you've said, based on what I've seen out of these puppies, I think you would be happy with any of these three. Uh-huh. And then you're choosing from those three, or they say, I think you'd be happy with any puppy out of this litter except for the wild child, because, you know, you've explained to me that you've got three kids, five other dogs, and um, you need a dog that kind of fits into that pack. And that wild child is probably going to take a little more one-on-one individualized attention as well as get worked a lot. And you may not have the time for that. So I would say, I don't recommend you pick that puppy based on this information. Yep. So you are, when you are picking a puppy, there's not a, it's, it's not a magic formula of things to specifically look for. Um, if you want to, you know, if you want to work with somebody, look up the temperament testing and I can put in the description of this, um, 
what that would be called exactly. Let's see here. I mean, just. Then you could see what this temperament testing looked like. And if you wanted to work with your breeders to say, I'm interested in um, doing some temperament testing, if you haven't already done that. I mean, somebody said that to us, I'd be happy to say, well, all right, let's go ahead and do it. I'm interested to know whatever. It's fine. Um, but outside of that aspect of things, you really need to be trusting in the breeding and trusting in the breeder and trusting in the situation that you're putting your trust in. That's, that's it. Yeah. And this is a very good point as well. When you said, you know, how, what are the exact things to look at to pick the right puppy for you? Well, it's individually specific to each individual person. What Ethan and I might be looking for out of a puppy for our breeding program and out of a litter is different than what most of our other puppy buyers are necessarily looking for, because I am looking to potentially breed them. Most of our puppy buyers aren't looking for the potential of breeding in the future. They are looking at this as their next hunting dog, their next family dog, um, but not interested in breeding. Um, so we look at other things, all the things when we're looking at that, um, even down to color, you know, Ethan and I have black and white short hairs and liver and white short hairs. And we want to make sure that we have males that can be bred to females and vice versa. And so sometimes it's like, well, we've got um, an opening for a liver and white male out of this next litter. Oh, well, they're all black and white. I guess I'm not going to keep one then, you know, um, because I really need genetically what these puppies are, but I need it to be a liver and white dog or vice versa. So um, that's because of breeding. Even to the extent of we will be looking for different things out of different litters. So for example, we, we try and find this balance act, but we may have two dogs that fall into the higher end of the spectrum ish or you know, for example, uh, Splash is a go-getter, right? Mm -hmm. She's going to be bred to a dog that um, she's lined up to be bred to Doc. Doc. And Doc's super chill, um, but has a lot of hunt drive and desire as well. But it's there's the chance for a few of those dogs to trend on the upper end of the scale. Take a little more after Mama. Yeah. Yeah. And what I would like to do is be looking for a dog out of that breeding that is more in the middle of the road to bottom end of the spectrum. That would be what we would be trying to pick from that to continue to trend in the direction of what we want ultimately. So um, where the next litter, for example, um, if I'm doing a litter with, if I'm picking a puppy out of Quest specifically, I'm going to be typically taking one of the busier body puppies in the litter because that puppy is going to be trending up as, as opposed to trending down in the drive desire category. So it's all yes. a balance act of knowing what the dogs are, what your purpose you're is. looking for. Yep. Being honest about those things. And that takes the people that are raising them and truly know who they are. Because I mean, I don't know what I would do if I had to pick a puppy based off of an hour of interactions. You know, for example, um, when we got quests from Cheryl, she raised that letter and everything else. We said, which one, Cheryl? And she said, this one. Thanks, Cheryl. Thanks, that's Cheryl. What, that's cool. what we wanted. Perfect. Exactly. That's you a, to make the decision for us. Because so. you know them. Yes. Right? You know them. So um, that's our big recommendations for you as far as how to pick a puppy. And um, it starts with properly picking a breeder. Yes. I think that is a great wrap up of this mini series, if you will call it, that focuses all on breeding and breeding information and puppies. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here at the Standing Stone podcast. Again, make sure and hit that like, subscribe, give us a review on any of the podcatchers. All of that stuff is greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm the guy with the pink gun. I'm Kat, the dog trainer. We'll see you next time.